Guys, welcome to the last gathering of our spring semester. Um, we're glad you're here. You know, as I, as I got ready uh, for tonight, the question that was kind of running through my head was just, how do we wrap up this semester? We've been a lot of places. We've looked at a lot of scripture and we've sang a lot of songs. And I, I don't, as I'm standing over here tonight, I, I don't think we could have had a better runway of worship to what we're going to talk about tonight. Whether it's chains falling, whether it's hope being present, or just that line we just sang, that Jesus changes everything. And so if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open to Mark chapter 5. That's where we're going to be tonight. Um, as you do that, I just want to kind of give us a quick reminder. This is where we've been. We kind of started out um, in Romans 8. We spent, I think it was like seven or, I think it was seven weeks, just taking a deep dive into Romans 8 with a series called Set Free. And as we walked through Romans 8, we saw, yes, Jesus changes everything. He changes our position. He changes our sin. He changes our future. He changes our present. Jesus changes everything. And then we follow that up with taking, uh, I think we had four weeks looking at work. And you know what we come, come away with from that series? Jesus changes everything. Because when we look at how God views work, we see that it's good. And when we look at how Jesus works on our behalf on the cross, we just celebrated a couple weeks ago, that it is good. And then when we take Jesus, our Savior, to work, things change. How we work changes. How we interact with people changes. How we see our boss changes. How we see our mornings, like Craig talked about, changes. And so whether it's our set free series or our nine to five series, I thought, you know what? We're going to look at a story that kind of encapsulates all the things that we've talked about. And what Jay said a minute ago was spot on. That's what we're going to talk about. But we're going to talk about it from a different perspective. Jay mentioned Moses and the burning bush. Great story. Great moment of just looking at the holiness and reverence before God. Tonight, we're going to look at a story from the other team. We're going to look at a demon-possessed man. And we're going to look at how a demon-possessed man interacts with Jesus. Jay talked about Moses, one of the, the fathers of our faith. We're going to look at the other side of that story. So, if you've got your Bibles, Mark chapter 5. And we're just going to kind of walk through this um, a little bit. We're not going to read every verse, but we're just kind of, I'm just going to refer back to it on a regular basis. But I'm going to kind of give you a little storytelling time uh, from Andy. So here's, here's where we're at. All right, Jesus has just spent an entire day teaching uh, thousands of people, answering tons of questions. And in the previous chapter of Mark 4, we, it ends with Jesus calming the storm, right? The disciples, he's like, well, hey, let's get in the boat. Let's go to the other side. I'm tired. Let's move on. And so it's the Sea of Galilee. They get in the boat and they head across. It's nighttime and the storm picks up. And if you have grown up in church or you went to VBS, you've probably heard this story, right? The wind and the waves are so crazy. The water's coming on the boat. The boat's taking on water. The disciples are terrified and they look in the back of the boat and lo and behold, Jesus is what? He's sleeping. Lazy man. He needs to hear talk about work. No, it's good. Um, he's sleeping. And the disciples are like, Jesus, don't you care about us? We're about to die. What, why are you sleeping? And then there's this famous line from Jesus, oh, you of little faith, do you still not believe? Right? The practical world around them was crumbling as they knew it. They thought they were going to drown in the middle of a sea that they had fished their whole life. 
And Jesus simply said, whoa. And he gets up from his slumber, wipes the crust out of his eyes, and he stands up and he tells the water and the wind and the waves, stop. And the wind stops and the waves calm down and all of a sudden the storm turns into this clear glass of water. And the disciples are standing there and they say this, who is this man who tells the wind and the waves to stop? And they obey him. So that's what's happened, all right? I can imagine the rest of the boat rides kind of like maybe this awkward silence like, whoa, what just happened? They're whispering in the back, what do you think that happened? Like, what, what, who is this guy, right? Like they're, and Jesus is like, he's going back to sleep. He's like, okay, done. My, my, my work here is finished. And so they get to the other side, and that's where we pick up in Mark chapter five. And it says this, verse one says, they came to the other side of the sea, to a country of the Guernseys. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit, a demon. He lived among the tombs, and no one could bind him anymore, not even with a chain. For he had often been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart. He broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with the stones. So let's, let's, let's catch this guy. This dude is terrifying. He's living in a graveyard, right? He is living, like, like the, the, uh, the, the metaphor here is deep. He is living in a place of death. That's his home. And the people from the town have tried chains. They've shackled his arms and his feet, and he breaks out of them. There's so much rage. This, this demon that lives in him is powerful. And they're afraid of him. And so they leave him alone. You know, it's kind of like that, that sort of like the crazy dude at the corner, like just stay away from his house. Like this is the crazy guy living in the graveyard who does terrible, terrible things. And it says day and night, he's cutting himself on the stones. Some theologians believe that that was an attempt to kill himself because he was in so much torment that he was cutting himself and cutting just to end it. But he was never successful. And then all of a sudden, he wakes up one day the storm from the previous night strangely disappeared at once, and Jesus shows up. And we pick it back up in verse six. And it says, and when this man saw Jesus from, at, from afar, he ran and fell down before him, and crying out with a loud voice, he said, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high God? This is not the man speaking. This is the demon speaking. This is the demon speaking. He runs to him, falls at his feet because he is on holy ground. Moses did the same thing, and so do demons. Moses didn't fall down just because he's a good guy. The bad guys fall at the feet of Jesus as well. And they ask this amazing question. What would you do with me, O son of the most high, Jesus? It rings true from James chapter two where it says, even the demons believe who Jesus is. They know. 
And Jesus says in verse eight, for he was saying to him, for Jesus was speaking to the spirit, come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, what is your name? He replied, my name is Legion, for we are many. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out of the country. And then we see this amazing and super weird story. The demon says, please don't torment me, right? Like he knows who he's talking to. He says, don't torment me. What do you want, what do you want to do with me? He says, see that herd of pigs over there? With your permission, would you send us into those pigs? And Jesus says, go. And they leave the man, go into the herd of pigs, and the pigs run off a cliff and all die. And the quick lesson there is that sin kills. It's not there to make you comfortable. It's not there to make you happy. It's not there just to make, give you pleasure. It's there to steal, to kill, and destroy you. Because when they went into a being with less of a will, the demons just killed them. And then in 14, the herdsmen of the pigs fled and told it in the city and in the country, and people came to see what it was that had happened. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man and the one who had the legion sitting there. Now, look at the change here. Look at the transformation. It says, he was clothed and in his right mind, and they were terrified. Think about it. This, the town, they've been trying for a long time. They tried chains, they tried shackles, and nothing worked. But this guy named Jesus shows up, and all of a sudden he's sitting there with clothes on, talking and speaking, and his mind is clear, and his mind is right. You see, Jesus doesn't come just to fix us, as Mary Ashton said. He came to transform us and give us a right mind. And then he goes on, in verse 16, it says, and those who had seen it described to them and, and what had happened to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs, and they began to, get this, beg Jesus to leave. Get out of here. They were afraid. They were afraid of Jesus. They didn't know who this guy was. All they heard was what he did, and they were fearful of him. They said, please leave. And they begged to Jesus to depart from their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he would be with him. Let me go with you. He begged him. And in verse 19, and he said, Jesus did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. So not only did Jesus free him. We talked in Romans 8 that we are set free in Christ. He set this man free in a very, very real sense. He was controlled completely by a demon. And that demon fell down and worshiped him and asked for permission. And Jesus said, go. He frees the man. The man's response to Jesus is, I want to be with you. Wherever you go, I want to go. And Jesus says, no, that is not your role. Your mission, and I'm going to commission you, is to now go and share your story. Go, go to your friends. And so here's what I wanna do real quick. When you guys walked in, you should have gotten one of these. If you didn't, raise your hand and one of our volunteers will, will, will get these to you. But I want you to pull these out real quick in the seat in front of you or in your pocket or your purse, whatever, grab a pen. Because here's what I wanna do. 
We've spent about, I don't know, 12 weeks or so this semester diving deep into Romans 8 and then looking at how God views work. And I love this conversation that Jesus has with this man. Because he doesn't say, hey, hop on the boat, let's go. He says, I want you to remember what I have done and I want you to go and tell your friends. So here's what I want you, I just want, I like physical things to remind me, and there's a little string on, you can tie it somewhere, put it on your keychain, tie it in your car, whatever, I don't know. Put it somewhere, put it in your Bible, whatever. But here's what I want you to do. We're gonna take our normal 120 seconds, okay? And I want you, on one side or the other, I want you to write down what God has done for you. I want you to write your testimony in a couple words, a couple sentences. What has God done for you? Because what does he say? Go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you. We talked a couple weeks ago about taking Jesus to work. And I think automatically we think of evangelism. I gotta go share my faith at work. Andy, I can't do that. You don't know my job. You don't know my boss. No, no. Look what he doesn't tell this man. He doesn't say, you need to polish up your theology and you need to polish up your presentation to go share the story of Jesus. He simply says, go tell them what the Lord has done for you. And so I wanna give us a few minutes here to simply sit with what we've talked about over the last several months. Maybe that's something from Romans 8. Maybe that's something from our, 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 uh, our series on, on work. Maybe it's something that you're reading in your own quiet time. Maybe it's something that you watched or heard. But I think for right now, we need to write it down so we don't forget it. What has God done for you? Because all these songs that we just sang are about this story. How do we fight our battles? We remember what God has done for us and we give him praise. What do we do when we find ourselves on holy ground? We first remember what he has done for us. So take this and maybe, I don't know, I I was thinking how we could do this and I'm not super polished or creative but this was my attempt. Right on one side what he's done for you and maybe on the other side, right, what has he released you from? What has he redeemed you and ransomed you from? Like if you've been around here at any level for the last five years, you know my story. We heard Mary Ashton's story very honestly last week. My story would be say, he has released me and redeemed me from a pornography addiction. I'd write that right there. That's what I would write. And on the other other side, it would be, he has freed me to walk with him shame free. That's what I would write. Because that reminds me of God's goodness, not my hard work. It reminds me of who he is and who I am, and it reminds me I'm not the holy ground, he's the holy ground. So just take 120 seconds and just think, what has God done for you? And maybe in response, we ask the question that the demon asked. I don't know, you probably are like, Andy, what? But this question that the demon asks is a wonderfully profound question. He says, what have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the most high? What a wonderful prayer. What, do you, what, would you, what would you do with me? How do you want me to live? How do you want me to walk? Where do you want me to go? What would you have for me, Jesus? Instead of coming to the gathering, instead of coming to church to get something, instead of making it about you, 
make it about him. What would he have you do? Oh, Jesus, son of the most high. Let's turn it. Let's remember what he has done for you. Write it on the card. Flip it over, let him know what he's released you, redeemed you, and restored you from. And then we're gonna come back and we're gonna worship the God who has done that for you. We'll give you 120 seconds. doesn't end there. Jesus leaves that region as they asked and does some awesome stuff. And then he comes back to that very same place where they asked him to leave because they were terrified of him. And in Mark chapter 6, verse 53, it says, when they had crossed back over the Sea of Galilee, they came to the same land and stopped on the shore. And when they got out of the boat, the people immediately recognized him and ran about the whole region and began to bring the sick people on their beds to wherever the he, they heard that he was. And wherever he came, in the villages, in the cities, in the countryside, they laid the sick in the marketplaces and implored him that they might touch even the fringe of his garment. And many, as, as many touched him, they were made well. What a strange flip. Jesus left being chased out of town. He left one man with one command. Go home, 
tell your friends what God has done for you today. I think some of us think in order to be a light for Christ, we need to have this nice packaged presentation. But all it is is remembering what God has done for you and telling your story. Telling the story of God's goodness and his grace and his mercy upon you. You see, Jesus died on the cross not to make our life better, not not as a life hack, not to give us a better afternoon. He died on the cross to release us, to free us, and to set us free from the sin that has caught us. That's why we sing. And for this guy, it was a very real, tangible thing. His entire life had been transformed. So I don't know what it is for you tonight that you feel might be sh- have you shackled. I don't know what it is, that the tombs that we live in every day, the death that we surround ourselves on purpose. I want to encourage you and implore you, choose Jesus. Run to him and say, Lord, Jesus, what would you have of me to do? And I promise you, one of the things he will have for you to do is go home and tell your friends what the Lord has done for you. And the Holy Spirit will take care of the rest, just like he did in Mark 6, 53. God will use you, not just for your good, but to free those around you. Let me pray before we go back and sing. God, I wanna thank you, Jesus, thank you. there, There is no storm that you can't calm and there is no demon you cannot cast out. God, I I just have to imagine what what a 24 hours the disciples got to see. Lord, you control the wind and the waves. And you also can control that which man has no control over. So God, I pray for courage. I pray for a great memory that we would remember what you have done for us. The great mercy of God through your son Jesus that you have released us and set us free from the sin that has so easily entangled us. God, let us find life in you. Let us leave the futile practices of our past behind and move forward with a new commission to follow you and to tell people the story of your goodness and what you have done for us. In your son's name, amen.